0: are going to talk about uh, priorities. Uh, how many of you realize that we, we have to, and we, we do have, whether we want to admit it or not, we have priorities in our lives. And, uh, and, and we can pick and choose the things that we'll do in our lives. But this morning, I think as we continue this education of a disciple, and we're all disciples of the Lord, is that we need to make sure that we're not just doing things, and we're not doing good things but we're doing the best things, and uh, there's a difference between what's good and what's best, and uh, I think God's way is always best, and so I want you to look this morning, this portion we're going to use as our text follows a a portion of scripture where uh, Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and so Matthew 16 should be a a familiar uh, chapter to you in the word of God. And we'll begin in verse 21, read down to verse 27 for our text, and then we'll begin. The Bible says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now just get a hold of what the Bible just said right there, all right? is he had to go, you know, it was, it was, it was God's will that he would go, and he, and he says, look, I'm going to suffer many things, and he says, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised again, and he says, I want you to understand this, and he began to try to help his disciples understand this, and the Bible says, then Peter took him, now watch this, Peter took the Lord, and he began to do what to him? Yeah, what's the word? Rebuke. Rebuke. Now, now who's he rebuking? Yeah, Jesus. All right? Now, I just want you to think about that as I read on. Because he rebuked him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter. So the Lord now, he's rebuked by Peter. He turns to Peter, and here's what he says to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. Notice what he says to Peter, that's an offense, all right? I think a lot of us understand the word. He says, for thou, Peter, savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross And follow me. By the way, this isn't the first time that he said those words about being a disciple, being a follower, and the price, the cost of being a disciple of the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus continues, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man shall come into the glory uh, in the glory of his father with his angels and then he shall reward every man notice here according to his what his works now Jesus is hitting on priorities he's talking about In Peter's life specifically that's the context this morning but you know a lot of times I put myself in biblical scenarios and think to myself do I have the right priorities am I settling for what's good or am I doing what's best in the eyes of the Lord I think it's a valid point this morning see many things are good but they're not the best and being a disciple of the Lord Can I tell you this, that whether you're young or old this morning, whether you've been saved for just a short amount of time or a long period of time, that being a disciple, the education of a disciple, we're never finished being schooled by God. We're never. You know, That's one of the things I appreciate about so many of our folks here at church, because even though they may be ahead of me in years, I still see a hunger in their lives and in their hearts to know God, to learn the Word of God, to be instructed by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is what we see this morning is that that God is teaching Peter and the Lord is teaching us through this passage that we need to live by the best priorities. But here's the key. If we're going to do that, if we're going to live our lives by the best priorities, then it's going to require denying ourselves. Now that's usually where it gets quiet in churches, because everybody's like, "Whoa, put her in neutral right there. Uh, deny myself what but if 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 we're going to do God's will and, and we're going to seek God's will, we have to follow the pattern and the example that we've been given. Jesus himself is talking to Peter. And when I study the word of God, look, in my life and in your life, Jesus is still the great example for all of us to follow. Look what he says in John four thirty four: My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, how many of you know that life comes from God? Right? Do we all agree with that? All right? So here's the thing is, is that God gave you the life that he's given to you. And God has a will, a purpose for your life. And how many of you understand that God saved you so that you would do his will and not your will? How many of you agree with that? Okay. Now, the problem is when we decide we're going to do what we want instead of what he wants. That's where our priorities get twisted. Things become out of whack in our lives. And this is, this is something that I think all of us need to understand. So it begins in our lives, notice first of all, with devotion to duty. Devotion to duty. Jesus, again, did the Father's will. He kept the priorities of his life, of what was best. Look at John 17, 4, another great verse. Jesus said these words, I have glorified thee. Notice what he says. Now remember, he was God in the flesh. But he said, I've glorified thee," talking to his Father. And he goes on to say, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. I love this little quote. Brother John? Well, the Bible tells us that as we live our lives as a Christian, that once we're saved, we're not saved by our works. But the Bible does tell us that one day we'll stand before the Lord and we'll give an account to the Lord. John Honeycutt will give an account to the Lord for your life, for the things that you've done. Now, you you, like me, John, you'll give an account for yourself personally, but then you'll also give an account for your family because God's made you the head of your home. And there may be other things because you are a business owner. God may have you give an account of other things that have been under your authority so th- that's why the Bible talks about that there will be some things that will be tried so as by fire and th- that Bible talks about precious stones and and silver and gold but then it also talks about wood hay and stubble those things will be burned up the old saying only what's done for Christ will last so again it's not by our works that we are saved but again one day, we want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Brother Flynn? He will not judge us for our that's right. That was taken care of when we trusted the Lord as our Savior. So the thing is is that there's, there's two judgments the Bible talks about. There's the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. That's the same judgment. And like Brother Flynn's alluding to there is we, we as believers... Our, our, our debt was settled when Jesus died on the cross, when we put our faith in him. So when we go before the Lord, we're not going to be judged for our sins, because that was already taken care of. Our sins are under the blood, but we will give an account of the life that we live. So for the Christian, the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine whether or not we're going to go to heaven or hell, because that's already been decided. But there is another judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment, and that's where all the unsaved in Christ will be judged, and that's where Jesus says, "Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you." So, does that make sense, Brother John? Okay, thought I saw another hand. Yeah. Uh, is, there, is that the reason why we all have different gifts? I mean, yes. Our works are different. Yes. Yeah, and and you know it's that's probably I'll answer it. That's a little bit more of a of a lengthy discussion. But the Bible talks about uh, varying gifts. For instance, there's what's oftentimes referred to as the temporary sign gifts, were, which were gifts that were given to the apostles while the Lord was still on this earth. And of course, after he ascended to be with the Father, that was given to them to carry on the work of God. And of course, with those temporary gifts, and you can study First Corinthians chapters thirteen and fourteen some other places, those gifts, when the apostles ceased to be on this earth, those gifts also ceased, and there's some discussion and disagreement on those, but I believe the, the Word of God is clear that those gifts, you know, if the, if the gift of healing was still uh, viable today, then there wouldn't be people in hospitals, we wouldn't have eye care places, things like that, but, but I do believe that there is such a thing as such a one as the great physician. So there's those temporary sign gifts, but then there's also the pneumatikos, which are the spiritual gifts that the Bible mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter number 12, where those gifts are given by the Holy Spirit of God. They're given to every believer. And the thing is, is that there are, and you can study those passages, there are, uh, uh, what is it, about seven, I think, different gifts that are mentioned. And the reason for the varying of the gifts is because, again, can you imagine if everybody had the gift of exhortation and nobody had the gift of mercy, or if everybody had the gift of administration and nobody had the gift of, of giving, and so on. And I think that's what you know, makes it nice because that's what gives the balance. Now, remember, those gifts are given to us, but they're given to us to edify the body of Christ. They're not ours just to hoard. To that's right. Yeah. Every every probably might. Yeah. And so it was kind. Of, kind of weird that everybody had a certain gift, especially for the church to add up the church. Yes. To bring up the church. Yes. Cuz you know not everybody can not everybody not everybody's uh been, been given the gift to teach. Uh some can teach, you know. Now again, one of the responsibilities God gives me as a pastor is is that as people get saved and become a part of our church, is this isn't my work. This isn't my church. And so I believe God brings people here and God gives people uh, those gifts, those abilities. And so as a pastor, I try to, to follow the Lord's leading that if this person has this gift in this area, I want to try to utilize them with those spiritual gifts they've been, because they were given to them by God. For instance, here's an example. This couple sit right back here teaches our children's church every Sunday not everybody can go back there and teach the children's church every sunday but the chadwicks actually love going back there the kids love them as a matter of fact i think the kids love them too much sometimes but but uh, but the thing is is and, I, and that's not to say negative about anybody else but not everybody has been given that gift to go back there and do that and so the thing is i think we need to be using those gifts they are part of our world yes so they're all a part of what we do for the Lord. So again, it's all about what we do for the Lord. Yes, sir. Um, of course, the word of God gives clear teaching on what those gifts are. I have something that I've used over the years that Roman was making reference to. Maybe you've never received it. How many of you have I never given? And again, it's not, I believe it's biblical. It's not necessarily scientific, but it's a little bitty thing to help you kind of indicate what your spiritual gifts are. I call it the spiritual gifts test. Anybody never taken that before? Raise your hand just out of curiosity. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, I'll bring some copies of that next week to class. Now, uh, I'll give some instructions then when I bring it, but what it does is it helps you to understand because years ago, my pastor actually asked me, he said, uh, Brother Keely, you've been a pastor, you've been an assistant pastor, you've been a Christian school administrator. I was in the ministry full time and he looked across the table and he said this to me. He goes, what's your spiritual gift? And I looked at Ambrose Flynn, and I was like, um, I, I don't really know. And it caused me to go study the scriptures and to see what the spiritual gifts that have been given to us by God. And, and how many of you think that once you, you understand, based upon the word of God, what your spiritual gift is, then, then from that understanding, then you can utilize that gift. For instance, like I said, teaching. Not everybody has God given that gift to teach. I've seen people teach that haven't had the gift to teach, and they really shouldn't be teaching, not because I didn't think they shouldn't be teaching, but because it was evident God had not given them that, that spiritual gift. So I'll bring some of those with me. Maybe that'll help you a little bit. And uh, it's, like I said, it's, 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 not, it's a nice little exercise, but I will tell you this, brother guy, you have to be honest when you take it. I'm saying this to you. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, and it's kind of like that. There's there's a couple different things. There's like a, a couple different personality type A things like that. And and I think like I said, I think if you're honest when you take it, uh it's not like a psych test. It it literally asks you things that as you, you personally score it, and, and it, it just helps you identify. Now, some people find that they're very gifted in one particular gift. And other people, I find that as they take it, they, they've been gifted in a couple different areas in their lives. And uh, here's one thing I got out of it. Out of all the spiritual gifts, um, I, and I asked my daughters, and I asked my college students when I was teaching at the college, I said to them, what spiritual gift do you think, Brother Keeley, or I was talking to my girl's dad, which one do you think that I scored the lowest in? Now, I can't believe you said that, Lynn. <laughs> Did you hear what she said? I've been to you. She said mercy. I can't believe she Wait a minute. Here's an altar. We're going to wait for Lynn to come up here. And... <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's absolutely right. She's absolutely. And you know what, though? You know what that said to me? That's the area of my life I need to work on. Amen. And so that's what, the, that's what identifying spiritual gifts in my life did was I thought, I, I need to work on that. Now, I've come a long way, but some people think, Pastor, you're still not very merciful. You know? <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. All right? So uh, anyway, let's get back to our lesson. Hopefully that was, uh, that was helpful to you. I, I love this little, you know, when you think about Jesus and his devotion to do the Father's will, I love this little quote that I found from uh, Robert E. Lee, General Robert E. Lee. Here's what he said. Do your duty in all things. You cannot do more. You should never never wish to do less. You cannot do more. You should never wish to do less. And I think when you think of that little quote, I think Jesus personified that quote by Lee. I think Jesus always did what he could do. He never did less. Now, notice a couple of things that he did in this passage. First of all, that Jesus, he had to go. Jesus had to go. Uh, he used the word must. He told them that he must suffer. Uh, Luke 9, 51, it came, when it came to pass, the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, did you hear that verse? I mean, we all know, listen, look, listen this morning. We know what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, but the Bible says he steadfastly set his face to go there. Boy, if if you and I knew that Calvary was waiting for us, we would have probably gone the other direction. You know, we would have never done what Jesus did, but he walked toward his duty with steadfast determination. He was willing to do the Father's will. Listen, here's the key, no matter what. No matter what. The Lord is, I think, today, you know what he's looking for? And we see in this in Paul's writings to Timothy, that he's looking for faithful soldiers of the cross who will go where he wants them to go. Now, a lot of us are not willing to do that, but that's what he wants us to do. Look at what Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2: Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. And notice this phrase, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Please him. Do you remember back, what's it been now, 11, 12 years? How long has it been since 9-11? 17? Wow, I know that it was just not too long ago. But think about this, there were a lot of people in that chaos. And by the way, I'm not criticizing anybody. I I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be there that day. How many of you remember seeing it on the news while it was going on? I I still remember where I was at. But here's the thing, is there were people who, who held positions that should have been helping people but they actually showed them on camera fleeing out of those buildings before they came down. And again, I'm not criticizing. But what amazed me and what just is etched in my mind is the pictures of people that while they were running out, there were people running in. Why would somebody run into a building that's about to come down? Because they were devoted to what they had sworn to do. And by the way, some of those people that went in were not firefighters and paramedics and police officers. Some of those folks were good people, Christian people, that just understood the value of a a life. And, And when I think about Jesus, listen, he had to go. He knew what was there in Jerusalem, but he went anyway. Look at the second thing. When you think about his devotion to duty, Jesus had to die. He told his disciples that he had to go. And throughout the scriptures, here's an interesting thing. All the way back in the book of Genesis, this is something that I find is is that God has always required death in order for there to be life. Remember what happened with Adam and Eve and the sin? What did God do? He killed an innocent animal. Uh, The Bible says that, that if a a grain of corn would fall to the ground and die. What do we do with seeds? We bury them. Why? So that you'll see life come forth from those seeds that have been buried. And you know what we need to do sometimes? Well, listen, all the time in my life is die to self. And you know what happens when I put Dane Keeley to death when we mortify the deeds of the flesh? life springs forth. God wants us to understand. Look, Jesus says, look, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. See, they thought, the devil thought, you know, all those Jews, crucify him, crucify they thought that they had won. We got rid of this troublemaker, this insurrectionist, but out of that, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You can't kill me. You can't do away with me. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, almost all things are uh, are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There has to be this shedding of the blood. And Jesus' mission on the earth was to shed his innocent blood for who? For us, for mankind, right? For all of us who are born of Adam, it, look, if Jesus would have been, if he would have refused to do uh, what he did, the Father's will, then guess what? We today would have no hope. We would not be forgiven. Aren't you glad for what Jesus has done for us? We, we are a blessed people. He fulfilled his duty. And Satan was determined, it, you know, Satan tried so many times to, to seek opportunities to keep Jesus from going to the cross. And so Jesus was devoted to his duty, and we need to be that way. But notice, secondly, this matter of distraction from duty. Because when you think about priorities and distractions, some are subtle, but yet some are very obvious. Distractions can come, and this is, listen, sometimes they can come from even people that are closest to us or people that we love the most. They can distract us, uh, you know, my parents, my parents, did not understand when God called me to preach. And now, the biggest reason was because my parents uh, are not saved. And my mom uh, claimed later on that she had she had been saved. I, I pray that she is saved. Uh, my dad is still uh, struggling with with uh, understanding about the Lord. But when God called me into the ministry, my mom and dad they they they, they did everything they could to try to talk me out of it. You know, when when, I, when God called me into the ministry, I knew I needed to go to Bible college. And Lauren, I never heard of Crown College. I didn't even know who Clarence Sexton was. By the way, glad to have you back. It's Lauren's birthday. Is that today? Happy twentieth birthday to Lauren, right there. And so, uh, so you know, I, I didn't even know anything about Crown College at all. And my the man that I was working for, he said to me, he says, "Hey, listen." Uh, I know you told me that you're going to go to college, go to Bible college. And I said, yes, sir. And he says, "Um, now, there's a good Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. And I was in St. Louis, just outside of St. Louis. I've been to Springfield, Missouri many, many times. And he said to me, he says, I'm going to open up a brand new store in Springfield, Missouri. And he said, I want you to manage that store for me. I mean, folks, that would have been the dream job. I could have gone to Bible college full-time, managed that store, made good money, set my own hours. And all of that is good. But guess what? God says, no, I don't want you to go to Springfield, Missouri. I want you to go to Powell, Tennessee. Anybody know where Powell, Tennessee is? It's a little bitty hillbilly place right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville is how they say it down there. But, uh, you know, God wanted me to go to, to that small little area because that was God's will for my life. I had a major decision to make, folks. Do I want to go after this nice job? And it's a good thing, but is it just good? Is it not the best? And God's best for me was there. See, again, sometimes Distractions will come and the devil will do everything he can. And so, notice as we read this morning, look at verse 22, how Peter gave the Lord a rebuke. Now, I don't think, listen to me, I don't think Peter was being disrespectful. I think he meant well. Matter of fact, look at the verse again. Look at verse 22, because in verse number 22, the Bible says, he began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, in other words, Jesus had just said, I have to go to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of angry people, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. He says, I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, Lord, this isn't going to happen. That's not a bad thing. In other words, if, I would have, if we'd have been privileged to be with Jesus, I would have probably said the same thing. Lord, I don't want that to happen to you. But in in what Jesus was hearing from Peter, Peter was expressing sentiment to him. Uh, Peter, Peter, uh, you know, he was thinking about uh, you know what they were what Jesus was saying, and he says, "Look, I, I I'm being distracted, uh, you know." And so, you know, I think this is what Peter always did in his life was he spoke before he thought about it. He really didn't think about what he was saying. And and folks, can I tell you today that whether you think this or not, but I know this, I don't know better than the Lord, and I don't think any of us do. Many times I don't understand God's ways, but I just know this, His ways are always best. They're always best. And we may not speak it out loud, but guess what? Whether we speak it out loud or not, our actions and our attitudes speak out for us. Look at Jeremiah the prophet said, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Some verses that I've tried to live by in Proverbs chapter 3 trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from what? From evil. Depart from it. So the Lord is going to show Peter, and I, th- I think God's showing us today still what's best. How many of you want what's God's best for your life? Amen. You know, uh, sometimes God's best may be a trial for you. You know, Brother Roman, maybe, maybe it takes some time on his own, but, you know, we were talking the, the other day just of, of all the good things that have come out of that situation in his life. <laughs> you know, you'd have never thought that. You'd have never thought that God would have to use something for, for the best to come about. But notice here, Peter gives a rebuke to the Lord, and then we see, letter B, that Peter got a rebuke. He gave one, but he got one. Jesus then uh, says back to him some words, and those words, listen, anytime the Lord speaks to me, if it's a rebuke, if it's something I need in my life, guess what? It stings. These words that Jesus said to Peter, they were not easy for Peter to hear. Because Satan, remember, how many of you know that as a, in, in regards to your family, that Who do you think in your family that the devil's going to try to attack first? He's going to try to attack, who's the head of the home? The man, right? Who do you think the devil's going to go after first? The man. If he cannot get to the man, the head of the home, which is God is designed to be the spiritual leader in the home, and I realize we have different situations and different types of homes, and I'm not against any of that. But I'm just telling you what the Word of God has to say. If the, the head of the home, if the husband is being a spiritual leader and does not give in to the devil, where do you think the devil's going to go next? Because he doesn't stop. Where is he going to go next? To the wife. And if he cannot get to the wife because she's walking with the Lord, where is the devil going to go next? Your children. And folks, I'm going to tell you, the devil does not stop. He's going to continue every way he can. Now, remember what happened in Matthew chapter 4, how the devil took Jesus and he tempted him three times in the wilderness? Remember what Jesus did every time he tempted him? He quoted scripture. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus quotes scripture three times, and what did the devil do? He fled. He fled. So guess what? The devil couldn't get to Jesus. So guess who he goes to next? Peter. Because oftentimes Peter's the one that's the outspoken one. He's the one that they're all looking at. Now, John was the one that Jesus loved. And by the way, Jesus loved all of them, but there was something special about the relationship that Jesus had with John. Yes. Come tonight, because we're going to have the Lord's table as a church family. But the, God gave me a special message for tonight on the clarity about communion. And it's, and I'm going to use as my text 1 Corinthians 10, which the church in Corinth was dealing with something that they had in their lives prior to being saved. They were dealing, still dealing with idolatry. And I'm going to hit on that very thing tonight, that very thing. So here's the thing is, listen, is when you think about our lives, we see here that Peter, like us, many times the devil's going to try to attack us. He's going to go against us. And the Bible says in James 4, submit yourselves therefore to who? To God. Now look at the next words. Resist the devil, and what's he going to do? He will flee. Now look, that's to us. That's what Jesus did, right? He resisted, and the devil left. The devil thought, okay, I'm not getting anywhere here. I'm going to go find someone else. Folks, I'm going to tell you, that's why it's important that not only we are right with God, we're walking with God, but we're leading our families, you know, that our, our, our children. Now, again, we can't live their lives for them. But we can point them in that direction, we can have them in church, we can have them under the word of God, and look, no one enjoys and i don 't think Peter enjoyed this either, no one enjoys being rebuked in our lives, and you know the biggest reason why we don't like being rebuked is because we 're full of pride. Amen. nobody wow. enjoys being chewed out if you you enjoy being chewed out, you're a strange bird, you know but listen we we hate to admit when we 're wrong, but God is teaching us, look, at, look here in, in Proverbs chapter 9, how to respond. Let me give you a great two verses here, how to respond when we are rebuked. Look at these verses. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. I saw, I saw a great illustration of this that I read this past week. There was a teenager, and it was a little different day, and there's some, some young people that are playing baseball nowadays, but usually about 18, 19 is the youngest you'll ever see. But there was a teenager in the minor leagues many years ago, and he, he got kind of discouraged uh, in his progress as a baseball player, and he just decided he wanted to quit. People were criticizing his game, how he's playing, and uh, he, he talked to his dad, and his, he said to his dad, he says, I, I think I'm just going to quit. And his dad says, well, if that's all the guts that you have, he says, why don't you come on home, and I'll, I'll get you a job, and you can work with me in the mines. And so the young man decided to stick it out, and he played 18 seasons with the New York Yankees and won world, seven world championships. His name was Mickey Mantle, great baseball player. But he just—he understood that I needed that from my dad. And Peter needed that rebuke from the Lord. And there's going to be times in your life where we're going to get distracted. And guess what? God, by his word and by his Holy Spirit, is going to put us in our place. And listen, when we are rebuked by God, what we need to do is we need to heed that, listen to that. Because if we do, we'll become yet wiser. Are you with me this morning? So we've got to understand that Jesus was devoted to duty. We need to be careful because we can be distracted from our duty. But then notice number three, we see this matter of denial for duty. Uh, One key word in our lives that a lot of us struggle with is the word no. We struggle with saying no at times in our lives. Let's just practice. Can you say no with me this morning? No. No. I see about half of you didn't say it. Come on now say no No. see you can say it i told my wife my wife struggles with saying no to people she just you know my wife just wants she wants to do everything for everybody for me for my children for this church for you it doesn't matter And, and in our lives because of our love for the lord we are tempted to, uh, we, we 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 get tempted and even in those temptations we don't say no to things believers must stand against the pull that comes with temptations uh, you remember the story actually two stories in the book of Daniel the, the young man by the name of Daniel was told he couldn't pray to God and you remember the three hebrew children in that same book who says hey listen everybody's going to bow down and you better be doing it too and all of those people bowed down on the plain of Dura, and those three stood tall for the Lord. They, look, they just said, no thank you. You know, we're, we're going to do what God's given us to do. We understand how important it is to live for the Lord. They determined to follow the Lord's will, and you know what God's will is for all of us? Not just for Daniel and those three Hebrew children, it's God's best for us. Look at what the Bible says here in Psalm sixteen eight. I have set... The Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And you know what devotion to duty is? Daniel understood it. Those three Hebrew children understood that it requires denial of self. Uh, We need to serve the Lord. That's why the Lord left us here. God didn't leave leave you on this earth to indulge in what you wanted. He left you here to serve him. Uh, The Bible says in Galatians 5, they that are, are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Crucify. Look, don't let the flesh win in your life. And by the way, don't always give credit to the devil because he doesn't deserve the credit all the time. Many times we just give in because we're weak. I know because I saw some of you standing at the donut table back there this morning. Some of you walked by and you looked and then you walked back, you know? And those, you know, listen, I'm sorry. I put those out every Sunday morning. I know that's a great temptation to you because it's a temptation to me while I'm putting them out there, you know? But the reality is I was just trying to get all the stuff from the ladies' event yesterday out of the refrigerator and on the table out there. So please help yourself, help yourself, all right? But listen, you understand in our lives two thoughts. Notice, first of all, that we need to make sure that we don't live for today, that we don't live for today. And what I mean by that is the world slogan is Eat, drink, and be what? Mary. Mary. That's the world slogan. Can I tell you that is diametrically opposed to God's will for your life? That's not God's will. Now, God wants you to enjoy life. And we understand that life is, it can be short. You know, you think about Brother Richie, and, and, you know, I think about him being in heaven today, but God gave him almost 64 years almost. This week would have been Richie's 64th birthday. This week. Sixty-three years is not a short amount of time. But see, life is short. It's but a vapor and then it's gone. Uh, James says, even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. See, Peter and the rest of the disciples, they were learning, as Jesus was teaching them here in this passage, they were learning to live their life by the right priorities, by God's will for their lives. And instead of living to today, for today, and by the way, we need to understand. That God's given us today. Let's make the most out of it. But watch this. Let's live our lives with eternity in view. You know what that means? You should always be thinking about others because there is a heaven, but there is a hell. And everyone's going to spend eternity in one of those two places. So don't don't live for today. Look at letter B. Live for tomorrow. Do live for tomorrow. Missionary David Livingston said, only one life will soon be passed and only What's done for Christ will last. We've got to invest our lives in that which lasts forever. Look, the Bible talks about moth and rust doth corrupt, right? You can have all you want, but guess what? You can't take it with you when you go. Look at John 6, 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. See, what's important to God in eternity, that's what should be important to us today. Why? Because we're his children. I want to know what is God's will for my life, what's important to God, and that guess what, that's what I want to spend my life investing in. And so one day, uh, all, you know, listen, all those things that we have, none of that's going to matter. The only thing that will matter is what we did for the Lord. And Christ was willing, as he told his disciples here, he was willing to go into Jerusalem. He was devoted to the Father's will. John 6, 38, he says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, here's the question this morning. What's your priorities? What do you spend your time focusing on in your life? Because if it is obeying God and following God's will then that's what God's best is for you. That's what we need to be doing. Jesus' priority, it was to follow the will of him that sent him. Our priority is to obey God, to follow the Lord's will for our lives. And only when we follow his will for our lives, guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to be doing his best for our lives. How many of you want to do God's will? That's what we should spend our lives doing. That's what we should spend our lives doing. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word of God, the wonderful time that we've had. Lord, thank you for speaking to us through this account of Peter and the other disciples, Lord, who were always uh, inquisitive. Lord, you were trying to teach them, educate them that you were going into Jerusalem, you were going to give your life, but that you had something that was best for them after you went to the cross and then went back to be with the Father. Lord, help us to follow your example of your son and to do that which is best for our lives, what you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray.